Thank you for joining us for Mental Health. Let's talk about it. I'm your host, Charlene Pickram, the owner of Pick Empowerment, and you're tuned into CIOE 97.5 Community Radio. And this evening, I have the Honorable Dave Wilson in with me, and he's chuckling over there because I was trying to decide just how I should introduce him. I said I felt like I should need to curtsy, but since I've known Dave for a few years. <laughs> we didn't we didn't go about that formal stuff. So welcome Dave. Hi, how you doing? I'm well. Um so this isn't the first time we've sat down and had a little chat. And the first time we uh had a little chat, we talked about post traumatic stress disorder and your desire to really get out there and start to have people recognize our first responders and what they go through. So what are you doing? Yeah, no, uh, you know, for those who don't know, I was a paramedic for many years and a volunteer firefighter before I got involved in politics, somehow almost over 15 years ago. <laughs> uh, but I've never uh, forgot how important uh, those services are and the impact um, providing care as an emergency uh, EMT, paramedic, firefighter, police, as a first responder has on someone's uh, mental status. So mm. throughout my career as an elected official, I've tried real hard to make sure that I kept focus on on improving public policy, for example, uh, in the legislature and bringing forward legislation. But on a more personal note, making sure that uh, I educate myself mm. as much as possible on, um, you know, really uh, over the last few years, more of awareness around PTSD and the impacts it has on people. You know, when I started as a paramedic in the mid-90s, it was, you didn't talk about that stuff. If, no. If a call bothered you, you went and had a beer and you know, hung out with friends and tried to just deal with it and sucked it up and away you went. But we know that yeah. that just, that just doesn't help. And, and over a, over a career, the, the cumulative exposure to traumatic events has an impact on you. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in the last few years, I've uh, worked hard with uh, supporting different organizations who support people with PTSD from Tema Contra Memorial Trust. There's Wounded Warriors. There's a new organization called the Society of Atlantic Heroes. There's a number of groups that are out there trying to support individuals with PTSD. But for my own part, more recently, I just founded a nonprofit organization called the First Responders Association of Nova Scotia. Yeah. And we recently had the first First Responders Appreciation Day here in Sackville. And the hope for the organization is to have that tour around the province, mm-hmm. go to Cape Breton and other parts of, of the province. And allow for the community to come out and say thank you and show the appreciation for first responders but more importantly have first responders come to an event that they don't have to organize it's free mm. it's a family friendly event uh, the, this one we just had had an amazing group, uh, lineup of entertainers who were all first responders we had a firefighter who was who sang uh, we had a paramedic firefighter uh, two uh, two paramedics uh, who, who come out and, and provided entertainment. And it just shows, I think, uh, that uh, to the community that the you know paramedics and, and first responders are more than just people who put a uniform on. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's some amazing talent out there, especially in the <laughs> musical world. So I wanted to showcase that, and we're hoping to uh, have that move around the province so in the coming years and uh, really bring awareness around the fact that uh, there's a there's an impact on someone's mental status on their lives on their family's lives mm-hmm. when they choose to get into a profession or volunteer in the first responders services for example yeah and i think you know what you're saying about the awareness piece and that as a society we're no longer saying hey suck it up get yeah. over it we really realize that there is that 
impact, whether it's the vicarious trauma, compassion fatigue, you know, burnout, all of those things that really do impact that individual, therefore it impacts their family and it impacts the community. So the fact that we are, you know, really trying to bring awareness and bring support to these individuals who do so much for their community is essential to the community's well-being, not just that person and their family. It has a greater depth. Oh, for sure. I mean, uh, it's just in recent years where more study, more data is being collected around the impact uh, working or volunteering in that sector has mm-hmm. on an individual. Uh, for example, uh, I mentioned one organization, uh, uh, the uh, Tema Contra Memorial Trust. You know, not only do they provide crisis line and support and family support and mental, mental health uh, service support, uh, but they are collecting data, unfortunately, yeah. on the suicide rates amongst uh, first responders in Canada. And it's, it's pretty sad to see the numbers. Uh, and we're impacted here in Nova Scotia. You know, mm-hmm. earlier this year, we had a paramedic who, who died by suicide. Yeah. And it just leaves a huge empty hole in not only the, the profession itself, say, as paramedicine, but as a first responder community, it's tough to take because often these individuals are, are suffering alone. They don't show it, mm-hmm. uh, you know, when they go to work or they struggle. They start taking sick time. And, and often with PTSD, for example, uh, people, you know, uh, really find themselves, uh, you know, hiding in their basement and not going out and, and into the public. And, and you know, they may not be missed. It may not be caught. And uh, so we got to be aware that, uh, you know, it's uh, it's a sign of strength almost to, to call out and ask for help. It's not yeah. that sign of weakness that I think many of us, and I know I was kind of brought up that, oh, you don't cry, you don't show your emotion, you don't, you know, uh, you don't uh, ask for help. But yeah. we know just that that can't happen. And uh, hopefully uh, the awareness, talking about it, bringing, shining a light on what really happens and, and what the ramifications are for people with mental illness. But in the first responder world, what mm-hmm. PTSD does to not only that individual, but the, the their family and, and the profession as a whole. It's it's a tough thing to bury a colleague. And yeah. uh, that's happened too too much over the last number of years across across Canada. Yeah. And for every responder that does, you know, um, complete suicide, it really impacts, like you're saying, the, it puts the rest of the individuals at risk. Yeah. It increases their risk. And that guilt, why oh, didn't sure. I see it? Yeah. Why didn't I step in? What, you know, what could I have done? Yeah, no, definitely. All of those questions that really impact that person who is still alive. Yeah, no, it does. And, you know, for example, just more recently, over the last couple of years, I've, I've really worked hard to try to bring uh, presumptive coverage for WCB uh, benefits, for example, for first responders. And yeah. I was glad last year the government agreed that, that they'll be doing it. And I think come end of October this year, if you're in a number of professions, uh, you don't have to fight and show and prove that you've been impacted by the traumatic events that you've seen. So mm. if you're a f- paramedic, for example, there will be a presumptive uh, understanding that, yes, you have been impacted by the, by the profession you've done mm. or you're doing, and uh, and you don't need to fight as much. So you know, I've had a lot of people over the last number of years call me, reach out to me, and I continue to talk with many who are suffering. And mm-hmm. so more recently, uh, there's a program out of Simon, Simon Fraser University that I applied to. Yeah. Uh, it's called the First Responders uh, trauma prevention and recovery program. 
And hopefully that'll give me more education, more insight on not only my own well-being, but mm. dealing with people who work in that profession uh, and how can I help them more. Yeah. Uh, because ultimately that's, that's what we want. We want people to know that they can come forward when they have an issue uh, and there are uh, programs and services there to help them and, uh, and take the stigma away from uh, having someone reach out and say, I need some help with this. Yeah, exactly. Because, you know, the big thing is if a person reaches out for the first time, which is incredibly hard because of our social understanding of, you're right, I grew up, that was weak. Mm -hmm. If you reached out for help and you couldn't suck it up, that was weak. So we need to change that mindset. Um, but when a person reaches out the first time and they reach a wall, how often do they reach out again? Yeah, Not no. very often. And that's when we see individuals succeed yeah. with suicide because they're like, hey, I reached out. Everybody told me to reach out. I did. And now nothing has happened. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, over the last number of years, as a paramedic, for example, I've been to many suicide attempt calls. I've been to suicides that have been uh, successful, if that's the term you want to use. And, and often uh, when you get the people who have attempted it, they realize... I realize that this this is a cry for help, and they really yes. need the support. and And that's the struggle on the other end of being a, a someone within the political system, that mm. knowing that sometimes those services aren't re available, you know, immediately. There are yeah. delays, and so I've been trying to fight it on two fronts: knowing that people need to reach out, but also the services need to be there in a timely manner. and And that's the whole campaign around timely access to mental health services in yeah. our community, right? So, uh, hopefully, we'll continue that push in that fight and and that we'll get to a place where people feel comfortable coming forward mm -hmm. uh, but also they get the support they need uh, when they're in crisis yeah exactly and and you know again developing that awareness of self um, prior to entering a profession is so key yeah. and we do not spend enough time in our education mm. system for first responders to say okay self-awareness how do you look after self how do you notice when, you know, you're being affected yeah. and what works to help you come out of that dark place? Yeah, that's right. I mean, and, you know, from what I'm learning, it's, a, you know, you need a toolbox. Resil yeah. resil re resiliency is, is so important, right? Yeah. Understanding what do I need to do to, to relieve some of that pressure, some of that, uh, uh, some of that uh, negative uh, compound situations that you've seen over the years you know as a, yeah. as a paramedic if you're there 20 years you see a lot of stuff oh, uh, that most people don't want to see mm -mm. and shouldn't see mm -hmm. uh, but there needs to be avenues to to relieve some of that pressure and 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 you're you know to educate people to have that toolbox so so if it's a hobby that you do if it's playing mm -hmm. the guitar if it's whatever uh, knowing that if you get to a point you need to kind of be able to turn to some of these uh, activities to try to relieve some of the uh, some of the burdens that you have. Mm -hmm, exactly, and the other thing too is that um, you know, like you're doing, acknowledging that these individuals are humans. Sometimes we think that I think first responders they're superhuman. Yeah, yeah. Right. Oh, and, that's always been the case, right? I mean, yeah. With uh, with Tema's kind of. Uh, uh, branding uh, heroes are humans, and mm. you know, and, and and a lot of first responders don't consider themselves heroes. That's I other know. people who label that, but yeah. but it's true. You feel like you have a shield, right? Mm -hmm. And that things shouldn't bother you. Yeah. Uh, but when you go to the calls that you go to, I mean, 
you're not human if it doesn't bother you. Exactly. And I don't think we want a profession of people who are hard and uh, unsympathetic to what they see and mm-hmm. what they have to deal with every day. And, and I think, you know, the reality of that training needs to be there, as you said, as you enter the profession. I never had that training when I started. No. Uh, but I think they're really trying hard to work that in now. And, and, and more awareness will just benefit professions, for, especially first responders professions, into the future. Mm-hmm, definitely. And the great thing is that resiliency can be developed in individuals, which I think, you know, why aren't we focusing on that? So that people can be more empowered to look after self and to look after each other because it's such a team environment. Yeah, no, definitely. And we have some strong advocates. There's a gentleman from Antigonish, John Garth McDonald, who, who created Help the Helpers. And he has mm-hmm. a symposium and, and he talks about his struggles uh, with PTSD. But more importantly, uh, with Help the Helpers, it's an awareness campaign. And yeah. he's, he speaks across the country now, uh, different events, different uh, conventions, symposiums, uh, to try to get across to the membership, especially if it's a first responder membership, that it's okay to come forward mm-hmm. and that you can continue to work like he has. Uh, even after a diagnosis of PTSD. Yeah, exactly. That's fantastic. So we're going to take our first break. When we come back, we'll continue the conversation with Dave Wilson. And you're listening to CIOE 97.5. And we'll be back at this in a moment. Welcome back to Mental Health. Let's talk about it. I'm Charlene Pickram, the owner of Pick Empowerment. And we're talking with Dave Wilson. And we've been focusing on post-traumatic stress disorder and what are the changes that are occurring right now to make people aware and educate people and support people who are really, um, you know, struggling with the traumas of what they do in their personal and professional life? And so, Dave, you talked about a program that you've recently started to take, and you did that pers- for personal and professional. Yeah, definitely, yeah. Yeah, no, uh, I mean, I, you know, over the last couple of years, definitely have been engaged with a number of individuals who have been, you know, impacted by PTSD. And, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I appreciate those uh, relationships that I have. And, uh, but, uh, but I knew, you know, uh, at certain points throughout the year after, you know, dealing with some of the issues they're trying to deal with, even myself, I felt a bit down and, mm-hmm. and thought, I have to do something to kind of make sure that I understand this. And, you know, as, a, as someone who's worked as a paramedic and, and firefighter here in this community, I mean, I'm, I've lived almost my whole life in Sackville, a little bit in Quebec, yeah. uh, but, I, but I lived and worked here. And, you know, uh, one of the biggest things that happens is there's triggers for people who suffer with PTSD. And, mm. you know, I, am, I feel very fortunate, very lucky that, I, that I've come through a profession um, not diagnosed with PTSD. I won't say unscathed because yeah. there are calls that bother me. And, you know, every now and then I, I can drive by a house in Sackville and, and remember the call I did mm. 20 years ago, you yeah. know, when someone passed away, for example. And so, so I have a lot of triggers, but, I, but I, I've been lucky that I've been able to deal with them and I have a good uh, support system around me, both professionally and personally. And, mm. uh, but the, the more important thing is to make sure that uh, people have the tools and understanding that, uh, you know, you, there is help there, and there is yeah. there is a light at the end of the tunnel. Even though there, you know, many of them are in a very, very dark place, and yeah. unfortunately, suicide is usually uh, to many of them an option. And yeah. the prevalence of suicide, for example, in our population, 
uh, of uh, is rising. Yes. Uh, but the prevalence of our population to be diagnosed for PTSD, for example, is about about eight percent of our population mm. uh, will be diagnosed with PTSD. When you look at the first responders profession, uh, corrections kind of are at the top. About twenty eight percent of those correctional officers will be diagnosed with PTSD. Paramedics are about 27%, firefighters about 17%, and then police and military are, are about 10%. Okay. So they're, they're above the national average. Mm. And, uh, you know, a couple of professions are really stand out. And, you know, last year, for example, uh, with some of the data Tema collected, uh, there was about 60 first responders who died by suicide in, in the country. And we know that number's higher. That's just mm. the ones that were confirmed and reported. Yes, exactly. Um, but it shows that we have a lot of work to do mm-hmm. and we need to make sure people know that suicide is not the end option and many people feel that it, people are selfish who, who 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 die by suicide but to them they feel that people would be better off the profession yes. would be better off the their families would be better off if they're not there and they they don't understand that's really not the case right yeah and, and it has a huge impact on on everybody's lives when when someone dies by suicide. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I love that you use the language triggers, yeah. right? The fact that, yes, you live and worked in <laughs> Sackville and continue to. So individuals who potentially have been diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder and are still living within their communities and are driving by the sites where they mm-hmm. potentially were introduced to the trauma that is now constantly being replayed for them every time they drive by that location um, is really sad because in many cases, do these individuals have to move away from their community to move away from the triggers? Yeah, and, and some of them do. You know, I've talked to someone more recent that uh, does live in another province because mm-hmm. every day there's triggers. And, and you know, we a number of years ago, really a, a lot of emphasis was around PTSD, especially with, with our military yes. coming back from some of the conflicts that we were at. And, you know, it was, uh, it took a police officer who, who engaged with me to say, listen, you know, yes, military, they have the PTSD, they're diagnosed with PTSD, but their triggers are, are worlds away. Yes. When you're a first responder, those triggers are in the community you live. And that's why many of them, you know, don't go out anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't do the social things they used to because they'll go by, uh, you know, a site mm-hmm. that, you know, uh, they know they have an issue with or, or, or run or, into a family member of somebody oh, they treated or yeah. no. And then that happens to me every day. You know, yeah. now as, as <laughs> I've been, you know, in politics just as long as I was a paramedic, you know, I, I find, do I know them from being a paramedic? Do I know mm-hmm. them? And, and people are pretty, pretty uh, open to, you know, how they know me or how I've engaged with them. And, yeah. uh, but like I say, I, I, I count myself lucky and, and I and I've had a break for 15 years. Mm-hmm. You know, some of my good friends who have continued on have been in the profession over 20 years, and and I know many of them struggle. Yeah, struggle it's a with, long time uh, with addiction and other things. And and uh, so it, it, I hope that with discussions like this and others, that people realize one that we need to recognize, appreciate what people do when they enter these professions. Yeah. But for those who work and volunteer in it, that there are. Uh, they need to educate themselves. They need to make sure that they are uh, have those toolkits and mm-hmm. they uh, have a wellness plan to make sure that when you do see a traumatic event, because you're gonna, oh yeah, you know, it's around around the next call. Um, 
that you have the ability to say, you know what, yeah, that bothered me, and and accept that, and mm-hmm. here's a way of dealing with it. Um, uh, I don't think anybody can say they'll never be impacted by the calls they see or do, uh, and I think the education component is the key to this, and yeah. and the public awareness is the key to this, and and breaking down the stigmas and being able to talk about it like this mm-hmm. uh, will help in the end. Yeah, and I think it's also important, Dave, that people understand that you don't have to be a first responder, you don't have to go to war to suffer from post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, you know, you could drive by, you could be somebody who comes upon an accident and you're not a first responder, but you're affected by it. Um, you could be abused sexually, physically, and suffer from post-traumatic stress disorder. So it, it does have a very broad umbrella. And I don't think that, you know, everybody's getting that picture yet. That yeah, no, you're, you, it's correct, right? I yeah. mean, I, I talk a lot and I emphasize on the first responders. But yeah. as I said, 8 9% of the population mm. uh, will be diagnosed with PTSD, just issues like you talk. I mean, my wife works in a, in a financial institution and, you know, I know over the years, you know, they've been robbed a couple of times and yeah. people have had issues with that. I mean, it, people deal with it if you have no knowledge or no education on how to deal with a traumatic event mm-hmm. that you come across, you see, you hear about. I mm-hmm. mean, it's, it's uh, definitely something, uh, as you said, it doesn't just happen to the first responders. It doesn't just yeah. happen to people who, who have gone to war. Mm-hmm. It happens to the general public. And, and uh, you know, the more education and more awareness and, and the breakdown of stigma, the stigma that is associated with it, uh, then I think we'll be better off as a community and as a society to try to help those people and make sure that they uh, get the support they need. Yeah, and and like you said too, it's so important in the professional sense uh, sense that managers are aware of where and what is happening with their employees, and they provide opportunities whether to debrief the checkup. Yeah. Do they have you know um, somebody that individuals can go to for psychological, uh, you know, help. Um, but on a personal level, if you don't have somebody looking over your shoulder and looking out for you, what do you do? Yeah, no, it's true. I mean, I mean, the whole mental health uh, discussion, I mean, we, you know, I had a discussion with someone recently, you know, if you were in a workplace and you were diagnosed with cancer and you had to take some time off, Nobody bats an eye at it. Nope. But if you're dealing with maybe schizophrenia or any other mental illness that you may be diagnosed with uh, and you need to take some time off to deal with it, you're looked upon differently. Mm-hmm. And we need to recognize that this is an illness. You know, PTSD is a, a, an illness. Uh, mental health is an illness that uh, people deal with and, and can be very productive in their profession and their private lives and their social lives as yeah. long as the support's there. It's when when they feel like nobody cares or uh, they're a burden on, on mm-hmm. their workforce or society, that's when we, uh, we see the, uh, the numbers of suicide, for example, or the, uh, the retraction of that individual from being a productive uh, person in the community. And uh, that's an unfortunate part of it. So there's a lot of work to be done. Uh, mm-hmm. to break the stigma, to engage people, to recognize it's an illness. You yeah. know, just as cancer is, just as if I break my arm. You know, if I broke, fell and broke my arm in workplace, uh, at a workplace, it's a workplace injury. Yeah. Why, you know, if you're a paramedic and you've done 20 years seeing traumatic events after traumatic events mm-hmm. and you have an issue, then why is that not an illness? And why is that not a workplace injury? And yeah. that's been the, the debate I've had for a number of years. And I'm glad that 
that we're finally going to get to a point where, yes, that will be recognized as mm. a workplace illness and the support hopefully will, will be there. Yeah, and that's so important. Again, it's that whole what's visual, visual, the medical model, right? Yeah, and, no, definitely. Yeah, and for me, I had to take two leave of absences for my mental health when I was a child and youth care practitioner because of, you know, I wasn't taught awareness. I And it was all about the client. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, I have such a huge respect for, for the healthcare providers who work within mental health because often, you know, going into an ER, for example, uh, it's that medical finding. The acuity level that you, you're designated depends on how quickly you get into the ER. Yeah. And when you go there and it's more of a mental illness thing, you know, they check your pulse. Your pulse is regular. They check your blood pressure. That's regular. You, mm. They check your breathing and your oxygen saturation. That's all regular. So yeah. it's very difficult to find out where is that individual, say they say they were going to commit suicide. Yeah. Where are they on that kind of they're going to do it or no, yeah. it's just a call Risk. for help. Yeah. And you know, that's, that's the, the down part about people reaching out for help is often they're put to the side, uh, you know, because it's not that physical finding that health providers are based their assessments on. Right. And, yes. and it's always a challenge. That's why I have a huge, huge respect for those who choose to get into, into uh, psychiatry or counseling because mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's, it's it, very difficult. It is, it is, but it's very much needed. And, yeah. and, uh, we're grateful for those people who choose to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then again, for them, you know, are the resources there, right? So you need to decide if you know that there's only one bed left, mm-hmm. Uh, and you have six people that you're waiting to do a suicide assessment on, how do you decide you know, who gets that? That's the challenge, I think, in, in that. And, and that's uh, part of it is, uh, is uh, I know we look at the private sector. If you have medical mm-hmm. coverage, you might be able to get in quicker. That's mm-hmm. why organizations like TEMA if, uh, will give support and pay for psychological support if you've run out of your coverage, for example, or if you've been yeah. denied. Uh, so organization, or organizations like that are supporting people to make sure that they get quicker access to, to the professional care and help mm. that they need. Fantastic. Well, we're going to take a, d- a break, Dave. And when we come back, we'll continue the conversation on post-traumatic stress disorder. You're listening to Mental Health. Let's talk about it with Charlene Pickram, the owner of Pick Empowerment. And we'll be back in a moment. Thanks for staying tuned into CIOE 97.5 FM, Mental Health. Let's talk about it. We have Dave Wilson on the hot seat. <laughs> Not really, though. And we're talking about post-traumatic stress disorder. So in regards to public policy we've made some headway so what's what do we need to do yeah no definitely I I know 15 years ago when I entered the legislature mental health and the discussion of mental health was kind of on the back burner you know you didn't talk about it much you know Mm -hmm. if there was some extra funding or a bit of funding it goes there but for the most part it was all the other uh, acute care issues that you know people see hospital beds nurses doctors all that kind of thing yeah Uh, but uh, I was very proud uh, to be part of the government when we came into power in 2009 uh, to work with groups who support mental health services to bring forward the province's very first mental health and addiction strategy it was Mm -hmm. a five-year strategy which kind of gave a roadmap of what we need to do as a government, no matter who's in power. And that's uh, what I love, because I talk about that all the time. Are we going to start something, and then somebody else new comes in, and that's thrown to the side. So so that was a roadmap, and it was uh, trucking along. There was a number of recommendations in there. 
Um, but uh, that was seven years ago. And, mm. you know, I am a little bit critical of the current government to, to say, listen, you know, you need to continue that work. And, and just last week, I asked the question in the legislature around the mental health strategy. And, and uh, I did get an answer that the government is looking at revamping and, and updating the strategy as we move forward. Mm-hmm. And, and definitely with that uh, has to be an infusion of, of, of spending, right? Yeah. I mean, you have to put money in to address it. And, you know, it's, there's, I know that healthcare, I mean, I was former health minister, right? it's a very challenging position mm-hmm. and there's a lot of pressures uh, and it, you spent a lot of money. Uh, you know, 45, 46% of the whole budget is on health. You know, yeah. when I was minister in 2011, 12, I think my budget was $3.8 billion. It's over $4 billion now. Wow. Uh, but you need to find, I think, uh, the ability to move some more money towards mental health so that people in our community are getting access to it. Mm-hmm. And you read in the paper every you know, month that there's a, you know, an issue here, an issue there. And, and you know, it's, it's challenging, but it's heart-wrenching to hear some of the stories and, and to know... Uh, that if people got quicker access mm-hmm. uh, to mental health services, there'd probably be better outcomes for that individual and that family. And yeah. often, often it ends in suicide. And, and that's what we need to prevent. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. every life that's lost is, is, is one that I think we need to uh, take in and recognize that go- as, as elected officials, as governments, we can have an impact on reducing those numbers. We'll yeah. maybe never eliminate it. No. But hopefully reduce those numbers and, and reduce the, uh, you know, the, the severity of what that impact has on a family and on a community. So mm-hmm. uh, I'll keep the pressure up as long as I'm in the legislature <laughs> to, uh, to invest more, make sure we have a good strategy forward so that, you know, we have a roadmap and it has to be forward thinking that it's mm-hmm. not just whatever political party is in, it's something for the future, right? Yes. And that whoever takes over the next time and uh, they can continue that work on and mm-hmm. everybody can say, they're a champion of, of mental health services and, and supporting and, and increasing uh, services in that sector. Yeah. So, I mean, a couple of key things. We know early intervention is incredibly important, um, as well as the evidence-based material yeah. that is, I mean, it's out there in regards to post-traumatic stress disorder and many of the other mental health or illness issues. Yeah. Um and so one of the things that I really like to focus on is when it comes to early prevention is our school systems. Yeah. So what an opportunity to educate and help our young people yeah. um, to learn about self, to overcome the stigma because they are so much more open-minded. Oh. And, and the bombardment. When we were, you and I were young. <laughs> we we're about the same age. Yes, we uh, are. We didn't have the, the uh, social media that's okay no. Now. And, you know, we were able to have a break. You know, unless they phoned you on your telephone. Oh, yeah. There was no internet when we were in junior high. I don't believe there was internet in junior high. No. It was just coming on in high school. Uh, There was no Facebook. Uh, You know, you you had a bit of a break. Now they don't have a break. No. Right? It's in their face. And, and, you know, in recent years, we've seen a spike in in suicide rates amongst Mm. teens. Depression and anxieties through the roof. Huge. And, you know, we've seen in Cape Breton, for example, there was a number of of deaths. And, and, you know, listen, if people think we live in a little bubble in our community here, we don't. No. Uh, Over the last few years, we've had a number of young people who have died by suicide. Yeah. You know, high school kids. Yeah. And the attempts. And it's heart-wrenching to engage with those family members and realize mm-hmm. there's people in our community here 
that are suffering. And yeah. so the education in, in the school system is, is, is the key, I think. And, mm-hmm. and I don't know if we've kept up with the pace of the social media explosion that we see and mm-hmm. you know my kids i i you know count myself lucky that they they seem to be healthy but they seem to deal with a lot more stress it seems and, yeah. I, and I try to make sure that they know that they need to have outlets they need to have a, a pause button they need to uh, have a, a toolkit for example yeah, they're, they're gonna get the tired toolkit. of me of, of, <laughs> of me gonna relay what i'm learning to my kids but that's part yeah. of it. my daughter's excited to, she's third year university at acadia and i told her earlier in the summer that i'm going back to university and we'll have to have a frosh week or something <laughs> but i'm a little i'm a little old to do that I think. never yeah. too old dave come on <laughs> yeah no but i think it, it you need to learn at any age you can learn about uh issues and, and i think in the mental health sector um, you know there's opportunities out there for people that just need to look out and mm-hmm. find them and educate themselves and and hopefully uh, we really just need to look out for one of one another look out for our neighbors look out yeah. for our friends and make sure uh, that if if there is issues that we're someone they can rely on we're not someone that will you know uh, alienate them mm-hmm. or make them feel like uh, they're less of a person and yeah. that's the key right I think in in making sure that people feel that they have the support yeah I totally agree. And, you know, the other part that comes with the stigma is you're not working. <laughs> yeah. What? Definitely. We're paying for you. Yeah. And you're just sitting at home. You look fine. Yeah. Uh, listen, I mean, I deal with that. You know, a lot of calls I deal with in my office is, is for community services. And yeah. you get the people say, oh, yeah, they're sitting home. And what they don't realize is a lot of people who are homeless, who are on mm-hmm. community services, have mental health illnesses uh, that have been treated. Yeah. And addiction problems. And, you know, that's why they're in the position they are in. And mm-hmm. uh, like I say, I know so many people who are very productive, very successful in their career and have a mental illness. Yeah. And it's not a shock to me. Yep. Uh, and uh, it's very doable. And it's something that we should strive for to make sure we shine a light on saying, listen, you can have issues mm-hmm. uh, and you can contribute and you can be working and, you yep. know, Sometimes you don't work. If you can't work, you don't work. That's, you know, as a society, we need to make sure we support those people no matter what mm-hmm. road they took or what path they took. Yeah. And, you know, community service definitely is, is kind of a last resort for many of them because, you know, they can't hold a job down. And uh, mm-hmm. we need, as a province, to make sure that we have some support there for them. Uh, but the key is to get them the professional support they need in mental yes. health services. And, and, and early. Counseling. Early, you know, yeah, early. These are individuals who maybe 20, 40, 60 years yeah. with this illness and these strategies that they have yeah. learned to cope that aren't very healthy, but that's what they know. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, often people who who are diagnosed with many of the illnesses, especially PTSD, they have the ability to go get professional help, mm-hmm. but they feel that that's not a, a door they can go through, right? Yeah. And and they feel that they need to be isolated, and they usually isolate themselves. And and then if you know, like I said earlier, a lot of them turn to addiction mm-hmm. and abuse, and uh, it's not a good family makeup. And usually, no. when they're at the bottom, is when. Uh, you know, society says, oh, okay, we need to help this person, <laughs> you know, oh, what? Oh, they spent 20 years as a, as a paramedic, for example, seeing traumatic event after traumatic event. Mm-hmm. And they wonder, you wonder why their family is, has been destructed, uh, you know, uh, destroyed uh, because of a, a non-treatment of a, something like PTSD, for example, yeah. or a mental, another mental illness or the addiction, right? Yeah. And, uh, 
you know, so we need as a society to make sure that we have the, the tools, we have the education component, and mm-hmm. as you said, early intervention is the key, right? To get someone who maybe not be at the point of suicide is the only option. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think we'll, we'll see maybe those rates go down, uh, say the suicide rates, and, and uh, I don't think we're going to see the, the rates of PTSD diagnosis go down, but the no. ability for people to continue to work um, and support their families, for example, we might be able to see an increase in that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and the thing is, with awareness, with education, we usually do see a rise of diagnosis because people are willing to, you know, oh, there is some validity to what I'm feeling. Others have come to me and say, hey, maybe you are suffering with, um, you know, let's let's get you some help. Um, and instead of hiding in that dark corner, and wondering, you know, uh, I can I can get out of this myself. I can do it. I can do it. Yeah. You yeah. know. No, I know many who who have ever, uh, you know, got the help they needed, uh, have returned to work. But mm-hmm. I know many that don't. I mean, yeah. the unfortunate thing is, is you know, I know a lot of medics who have left the profession years ago. I mean, you look at uh, Vince Savoya, who's mm-hmm. the, who started a Temecontra Memorial Trust. You know, he was a paramedic in the eighties. Yeah. And uh, the way he got the name Tema is that Tema Conter, who was originally from Halifax, uh, was murdered in Toronto. And Vince was one of the first responders that went to the call. And mm-hmm. it wasn't until years later, after he left the, left the profession, that he realized, I have an issue. Mm-hmm. And he wanted to tr- you know, create this foundation to uh, help other first responders. And they, he went to the Conter family, who are still living here in Halifax. Dr. Howard Conter is, is Tema's brother. He, he's very much uh, at the forefront of the organization, but uh, nice. a strong advocate for mental illness and improves access to services here. Mm. Uh, so they, cr- they named it after Tema. And uh, so there's a huge connection with that organization in Nova Scotia. Mm. Uh, but it was through that uh, experience that Vince had that he realized he needed to do something to bring awareness around this. And, uh, you know, that's the key, really. Educate yourself, Mm -hmm. early intervention, you know, uh, building a toolkit, understanding that you need to press pause sometimes in in your life, that uh, when you're dealing with, you know, a traumatic event if you're a first responder, but other pressures that individuals have in their life, Mm -hmm. and uh, be able to, uh, you know, empty that glass before it overflows, <laughs> as some people have said, right? And, yes. And that's the key uh, to someone's well-being and wellness, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, but it starts, I think, at education. Mm-hmm. Oh, totally at ed- education and gathering, like you said, the data, yeah. evidence-based yeah. data. What is really taking place so that you can put the proper toolkit yeah. strategies yeah. in place? And again, they don't meet everybody's needs, um, because we're all individuals, yeah, right. and sometimes it takes a little while to figure out what works for us, um, and but it's worth the time. Definitely. For yeah. sure, to put into it. We can't not spend some time trying to figure this out. Exactly. Because our, you know, we have people suffering, and our communities are impacted every day uh, yeah. by people who are diagnosed with PTSD, other mental illness. Yeah, definitely. All right, we're going to take our final break. And when we come back, we'll finish our conversation with Dave Wilson discussing post-traumatic stress disorder. We'll be back in a moment. In the final segment of Mental Health, let's talk about it on CIOE 97.5 FM. We're going to continue our conversation with Dave Wilson about post-traumatic stress disorder. And in the final segment, we want to talk about 
who can people contact if they feel that they are, you know, in trauma? They're, they may not know that they have post-traumatic stress disorder, but they know they need some kind of help. Where can they go, Dave? Yeah, I mean, there's a, a lot of different avenues that people could take. Uh, I, I think the first one, definitely, if you're feeling like you're in a really bad position, I mean, you call 911. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, get those first responders there that can open up maybe uh, avenues for you to help. There's crisis line that we have in Nova Scotia, for example. Yeah. But there are a number of organizations out there that over the last number of years that have been growing in, in uh, popularity, and, but in, in recognizing the need to be there. You know, you have organizations like Wounded Warriors. Mm-hmm. Um, you have the Society of Atlantic Heroes. Uh, that organization is a newer one where, you know, if you're a first responder or military personnel and you need to come to Halifax, for example, for medical appointments, they have an apartment that yes. you can use for free. Yes, you I know? did hear about and that. They want to they want to build a house so that, you know, more people can gain access to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have uh, uh, guitars for vets uh, where, you know, you can donate a, a guitar to Long and McQuaid, any Long and McQuaid in Canada, and they'll make sure that guitar gets to someone to, uh, you know, they have a program where, people who diagnose with PTSD learn to play the guitar. And mm-hmm. I have to say, you know, I, I did that a number of years ago and the most relaxing times <laughs> I have is even for 10 minutes at night, just picking away on, and I'm no good guitar player. <laughs> but you love but music. I, I love music. Yeah. And I, I'm even singing a little bit by myself or with my buddy. Uh-huh. Uh, but it just, it's avenues like that, uh, mm-hmm. you know, really help uh, people deal with some of the things they see. You know, there are there are organizations like Tema that will actually pay for psychological help if you mm. need it. If you if you've run out on your on your plan, your private plan, or you just can't get access uh, to the public uh, public support services right away. Yeah. But there are options, and and I think people just need to reach out and and uh, understand that there are people that are working extremely hard every day. Mm-hmm. Often, these organizations are run by people who have gone through. Uh, that traumatic event or that diagnosis of PTSD so they understand mm-hmm. it and and there is a definitely a level of comfort I think that's why some people reach out to me for example uh, reaching out to another first responders definitely you know, uh, I hear that all the time thinking why are you calling me I mean mm-hmm. but they heard that you know I was trying to advocate for first responders and you know I was a first responder and most it makes often, a difference. It does. most often they say, "You understand, Dave. You were there. You understand," and and it does make a, a difference. That's why these yeah. organizations are great because they usually usually their leadership is comes from the ranks. If you mm. want to use that military term, from military or first responders, they're police officers, they're uh, they're firefighters, they're paramedics, yeah. and they're military personnel who have seen and witnessed uh, some of the things that uh, you know uh, we need to deal with. So, mm. uh, you know, I just encourage people to. You know, if you're in that dark place, that there are people there to help. Uh, and, you know, there, there are opportunities to, to, to lift you out and support you. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that's the key is to make sure people, people do that. Yeah. So is there any mentoring, like the peer mentoring we hear so much about? Because, again, you know, when I did my study with child and youth care practitioners regarding stress, the number one thing they said was is, we want somebody who understands, yeah. right? Who's who knows what we deal with on a day to day basis, what we hear, what we have to intervene on, all those things. So, in the same regard, you know, we have how many different police stations, yeah. how many different fire stations here, just in the Sackville Beaver Bank area. Are there peer mentoring 
taking place? There are. I mean, definitely I know a lot of the professions like paramedicine and others have uh, EAP programs, yes. employee assistant programs. And yep. there are peer support programs through that. I mean, that's, sometimes that's a double-edged sword, right? Because, mm. you know, you they do want some support. They do want to call out for help, but they don't want their colleagues to know about it. Yeah. So there are other organizations, say like Tema Contour Memorial uh, Trust, mm-hmm. uh, where, you know, there's a crisis line where if you call, they'll get you in touch with a first responder uh, and you can engage that way. You know, there's okay. national national programs. I think, I think we're starting to see um, services recognizing the need for that mm-hmm. and moving in that direction and making sure that after a traumatic call or a bad call that, you know, the, the supervisors are there. There's a, you know, you, you're, you're given some time to uh, stop and just take a breath. Cause yeah. often I have to say, I mean, you go to a traumatic call, you, you end up at the hospital and because of the, just the sheer busyness of especially the EMS system right now, yeah, you, you don't have much time. You clean your trucks, you de- disinfect it. And then you get your paperwork in and you're out on another call. Yeah. And we've seen a number of jurisdictions now across and services across the country realize, no, it doesn't matter. If it's busy, it's busy. If you've done a, a real traumatic event, mm-hmm. you're, you're put on hold for a while to make sure that That's great. You know, uh, they, uh, they check in with those individuals, say, okay, how are you doing? Mm-hmm. And that's a good thing. Often I've been there. It doesn't usually bother you right away. No, like they're you know people who are first responders are a bit of a adrenaline junkies, junkies. and <laughs> you know and you you know you you want to be there, especially if it's a, a you know let's say a multi car accident. You, yeah, yes, get me back out there. I'm going to help some more. Mm-hmm. It's usually after the fact, so it's it's post shift uh, when you're off on your days off. That's where I think the professions need to need to do a better check-in and a better yes. job at checking in on, on first responders. You hear it all the time. And when you're away from work and it's bothering you, nobody calls to see how you're doing, right? No. So, so having a service and a policy uh, within a service to say, you know what, there needs to be those check-ins. Mm-hmm. Uh, there needs to be, you know, follow-up. Um, and it can't just happen just after the call because often... You know, it's years the down the adrenaline. road. Adrenaline. Yeah, it's years. your knees are still oh, yeah, shaking. Yeah. Your, yeah. yeah, I know that that feeling yeah. well. But there are so many dedicated individuals out there who who have gone through things, who are willing and, and are stepping up to the plate now. Mm. And and it, and it looks positive and it looks promising uh, that you know we'll be at a position uh, down the road where you know all the public policies are in place to support somebody. All the legislation is there. Yeah. Uh, the services are in place. Yeah, the money's in the place. Mo- I was going <laughs> to say, are you going to say the money? <laughs> the day? money's in place. And, <laughs> you know, so it's, uh, you know, I don't want anybody to feel that they're alone in this and they're mm-hmm. not. There are so many people who uh, have gone through the situation, whatever you're going through, yeah. uh, that are there to help. You just please reach out. And, yeah. and that's really the, uh, the, the the strongest message is that there are people there out there to help you and and just Mm -hmm. reach out for it. And I think the other message too, Dave, that I, I would like to send to individuals is it's okay to walk away from your current job and your profession and your field. If it's no longer beneficial to you, if it is causing you to be in pain, is it causing your family to be in destruction mode? It's okay. Yeah. Your skills are transferable, and you're not just a one gig person. Yeah. Oh, and, I mean, at the society now, a lot of people don't stay in the same job for many, many years, right? No. And and I would agree. I would agree with you. I mean, there there are so many opportunities now for retraining and, mm. and educational components that 
you know, it's, uh, there, are, there are avenues out of uh, continuing to put you in a, in a position where you're, you're going to hurt your well-being. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I've said this all the time that it's, it's okay not to be okay. Yes. Right? It's, you know, that's That's normal, normal, folks. Exactly. It's okay <laughs> not to be okay. So don't feel that, you know, you're, you're, uh, uh, you failed at whatever you're doing. Uh, there's mm-hmm. so many things. And, and I just look at our, uh, the profession I came from as a paramedic. I mean, before, in the early days, it was just you were paramedic and that was it. Now there's so many opportunities. That yeah. You can do training within within the house. You could you can do uh, dispatching, even though dispatchers are, are, impacted, are impacted as well. Just as much. Yeah. Uh, there are uh, research uh, opportunities that are going on. Uh, heck, you get into politics <laughs> if you want to. Uh, but there are there are a lot of avenues. Uh, yeah, more than there were when I started my career in the early nineties. Um, yeah, for first responders, and and I think it, it's the same in uh, in other uh, professions or other services. Mm-hmm. I mean, especially around uh, you know the support for mental health, the support for PT, uh, people with PTSD. Uh, I think the opportunities will t- continue to grow. Yeah. Um, so if you do need to take back. Uh, take a step back like you said it's it's okay to do that yeah right? there, you know there there's so many training opportunities out there that you know you can uh, retrain adjust uh, and uh, the most important thing is making sure that you know whatever you do you you have a good mental health your mental health status is is a priority for you mm-hmm. and often often it's not i know in the yeah. early days your mental health status was not a priority and no. it was a, a an afterthought but now it's as you said, I think before, you know, the early education, understanding um, the ability to say, whoa, I need to I need to have a, a break or a pause here. Yeah. Uh, that, uh, you know, hopefully people can get through the situation there that's in front of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, it it like you said, it's OK not to be OK. <laughs> yeah. And it's OK to let people know that we yeah. walk around with those lovely little masks on all the time somebody says well how are you and you just go yeah doing great living life you know when inside you're hurting and and it's okay um to you know really be honest with people who you feel psychologically safe with of course um and that hopefully within workplaces that psychological safety is being created and the stigma is going away I hope. Yeah, with, no, that's, with everybody's help. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and that's uh, that's a key. I know a, a good friend of mine, Kevin Davis, who was a paramedic uh, a number of years ago, wrote a song "When Those Sirens Are Gone." Mm. And uh, Kevin's an amazing entertainer. Uh, he performed at our first responders appreciation day. Oh, he did. Day. Nice. Yeah. And his, his, that video and that song, uh, he went down to Nashville to record it, and, and it's it's really propelled him into going all over North America performing mm-hmm. it where he stepped back as a full-time paramedic. He's part-time now. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he sings all over the place and it's amazing to connect how music can sometimes really uh, mm-hmm. support and help you. And, and I encourage anybody just to YouTube him, Kevin Davison, when those sirens are gone, it's a, nice. it's an amazing uh, video and, mm-hmm. and it really shows, I think what happens, uh, f- with first responders when they, when they go through things. Mm-hmm. Sharing his voice in a very different, unique way, which is a tool in his toolbox. Definitely, yeah. You got it. Yeah, fantastic. So, Dave, how can people get a hold of you if they're interested in discussing anything by the sounds of it? You're open. I am, yeah, definitely. I mean, my MLA office uh, is always there. I'm at 51 Cobb Road. Uh, Dave Wilson 
mla at eastlink.ca or uh and i'll put a plug in for the for the nonprofit organization Go for it. uh, it's the first responders uh association in nova scotia uh, just uh, google it uh it's get in touch with us we're hoping to grow as we uh, as we move around the province and and, mm-hmm. and educate people on uh the need to recognize support and appreciate first responders here in nova scotia yeah definitely all right well thank you very much for coming in david